Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. This is the best club in the world. Don't care what other people do. Simicas. Nice shape to that one. Very nice shape. And a fabulous finish. Finally, the Liverpool fans see Darwin Nunez score at Anfield. So another 1-0 win racked up, but made in a very different fashion to the City victory. Alisson with some massive saves and Darwin Nunez getting his first Anfield goal. The Reds are finally on a run. That plus the Panorama programme asking what went wrong at the Champions League final. We'll talk with the journalist Layla Wright who led the investigation. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of the articles on the site, everything on Liverpool, if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. And right now there's a special price of a pound a month for six months. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall, this is The Red Agenda, joined today by Simon Hughes and Andy Jones as we reflect on a 1-0 win over West Ham. Three points manufactured in a very different way to the win over uh, City side. Not the intensity of that game, but another clean sheet and another game where they score first. I thought it was a, an excellent victory. I wouldn't say it was an excellent performance, but maybe understandable given what happened on Sunday and given the challenge of the game to come on Saturday. It seemed to me that Liverpool took the lead and then Klopp made his, his substitutions a lot earlier. Well, not a lot earlier, but but earlier than he, he normally would do around the 55-minute mark. I thought that was pretty reflective, really, of, of, of where Liverpool are at, at the moment and the stage of the season. So, let's be fair. West Ham are a much better team than they have been at any other point in my lifetime, I would say. You know, I think they're a good side who can cause top teams problems. I thought it ultimately came down to, as you said there, Steve, that the, the goalkeeper and the quality of the goalkeeper. I mean, another reminder that uh, I know there's a lot of doubts about some of the players in the Liverpool team at the moment, but there can't be any doubt about Alisson Becker. A couple of world-class saves, which which is ultimately what world-class goalkeepers do uh, when they're under pressure. I mean, Liverpool have had these sorts of performances a lot under Klopp, you know, sort of game that just gets another three points and then you forget about in the future. But, you know, an encouraging week for Liverpool, given given how difficult it's been over the past few months. I think they do look better defensively. I know West Ham had chances last night, but teams always tend to create chances against Liverpool and it usually comes down to them having a really good goalkeeper to stand up when it counts and that's what I thought happened last night. Definitely more vital points won by Alisson. He is the player that stands out for being consistent, Andy, uh, this season, despite all the problems they've had. Yeah, I mean, there's not much you can do about what was happening in front of him in terms of sort of the defensive problems and, and the the way the teams were able to to get into positions to, to get shots on goal and, and they were getting into very good positions to, to score goals from and 
and as a keeper, there's not much you can do about it. But yeah, he he has been one of the the more consistent performers this season, and even at, even though Liverpool's form has you know has been as poor as it has been at times, he's he's still produced really good moments and, and really good saves. And it was another one with the penalty save because uh, it was a big moment just before half time. It would have cha- it would have changed the mood. It did change the mood anyway in terms of I think the feeling around Anfield. Just that that nervousness, just that that was the first time I think it really began to set in. But for him to save it was just a, a massive moment and, and just kept that momentum going a little bit and I, I much prefer the two as sort of wacky passion in the first seven or eight minutes. Oh yeah. Um which is which is just a bit mad and he can have those moments, but his consistency and his calmness throughout is just so important. You can only imagine, side that the lack of clean sheets that Liverpool were getting in the in the opening games of the season, it would almost be akin to strikers not scoring, Alisson not getting clean sheets. It must have been a really frustrating time for him. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a, it was a big result against Man City at the weekend. I thought it was quite telling. Alisson and Virgil Van Dijk celebrated together immediately after the final whistle. You know, obviously a big big victory for Liverpool, but to to keep out. Erling Haaland, who obviously, as we all know, scored a huge amount of goals in a short space of time. I think that that reflected sort of what it meant to, to both players. I mean, I, I think Alisson generally has had quite a good start to the season. He's been the one player, I would say, largely has been unaffected by by Liverpool's performances and, and form. Um, Virgil van Dijk, on the other hand, hasn't been himself. I think by his own admission, and has not looked anywhere near the confident player that we've seen, you know, for so many years now, which has been quite shocking to see, really, because he, you sort of see this this guy, despite what happened, I suppose, in the Merseyside derby a few years ago, as being indestructible. You just don't seem to be able to to break him, and he, he hasn't been himself. But I think, despite as I said, despite West Ham's chances last night, obviously a chance from a mistake by Joe Gomez. He was too rash into the challenge uh, to give away the penalty, and then, you know, in the, in the in the dying minutes, the save, which was helped by James Milner retrieving, or, or sort of trying to get back into positions to help him. But Allison had still done the right thing. He always, I think, his body shape when he makes saves, it always looks right to me. I'm not a goalkeeping expert, but he he always looks to make himself as as big as possible and give himself the best chance of making a block and. That sort of saves huge for Liverpool's season, I think, because it, you know if West Ham get a late equaliser at Anfield, you know it's it, it's a big moment for West Ham, but but a really disappointing moment for Liverpool because of what happened at the weekend against City. It sort of feels like a lot of hard work may have gone, will have been undermined to some extent. So you cannot uh, overestimate the importance of that moment. I would say I just think I mean for, for me, Alison Becker is. Is the best goalkeeper that I've seen play for Liverpool. He has been a transformative signing. There's been a lot of discussion this week after some of the some of the briefings from Manchester City and some Premier League managers saying, you know, Liverpool have bought big because of Alisson Becker. Yeah, but they sold big because they got they had to sell Philip Coutinho. There's no doubt that they bought big with him, uh, and he's proved to be a transformative signing. But there is the context of that behind it that they needed to generate the money to be able to do it. But there is absolutely no doubt that every single penny that he spent on him has been worth it because he's won a Champions League, he's won the, the Premier League, he's won 
near enough every other competition that Liverpool. Well, in fact, he's won every competition that Liverpool have competed for. I think since uh, since becoming a Liverpool player, or should I say, the club has, because I know he missed out on a couple of the finals through injury. But he's been brilliant. He's been absolutely brilliant, and I think you know all things being equal, you'd hope that he was one of the players you know in in, in the medium to long term that would still be there because he's for me. I think he's the he's the best in the world. I genuinely do think that. Yeah, he's been pretty much the foundations of it all, hasn't he? So, a uh, few quid spent on him, as there has been on Darwin Nunez. Just a brilliant hour from Darwin. Really looks like he's settling into that that number nine role. The header was right. Possibly could have had a hat trick, Andy. Yeah, he's just chaos, isn't he? I really loved watching him last night, and I, I sort of you've I think you've seen those signs in the last sort of few weeks begin to build because he's just. I just think he'd be a nightmare to play against. He just doesn't stop. It's really strong channel runs that, you know, I think this, this, the system suits him a lot better than sort of that 4-3-3, just sort of having someone close to him, but also allowing him to do sort of just one thing. So last night, sort of Bobby Firmino dropping in, sort of knitting everything together so Nunes could sort of focus on being there. Well, I'm going to keep running, I'm going to keep running. I mean, you don't know what he's going to do next. At, at times, but he just continues to find himself in in shooting positions or or goal scoring situations. And when you when you look at strikers, that's what you want them to do. You want them to be able to find and sniff out the scenarios, which give them the best chance of scoring. I think his goals superb. A little bit of movement, a little bit of pace to just get to the ball in front of in front of the defender. And it's a really good header as well. And then you know he could have had a couple more, as you say, that the the, uh, the sort of half half volley from the the long ball over the top thing from Thiago, um, which is tipped over. The, the strike which hits the post, which you can barely see because he hits it with that much force. There was just so much to like about it, and you can see he's settling, and you can see he's enjoying himself. I think that that sort of that initial pressure of, of coming in and and sort of the expectation. I think he's sort of it doesn't seem to be uh, on his shoulders anymore type thing. That he looks more relaxed, and and as a result, he's he's sort of he's getting more joy in. And I think he's beginning to build those partnerships with those around him as well, which he wasn't able to do earlier in the season because the red card did set him back. And obviously, Ellen Haaland started the season didn't help. But you look at what he's doing at the moment, and he, you know, he's he's beginning to consistently score goals, which is the important thing. And yeah, as I said, he he, he might be wild and chaotic, but I'd much rather him be on our team <laughs> uh, and causing their defenders problems than the other way around. He certainly doesn't look an 80-odd million pound player at the moment, I would say. But he looks like he, he could become one. I can understand why there are a few doubts about him because he's certainly not sort of the polished player you'd expect for that sort of money. But what gives me the confidence that he, he could emerge as one is his attitude more than anything else. He has all the, you know, the, the traits that, that, that Andy was speaking about there. He's, he's a bit like a tornado, isn't he? So, so when he, he sort of gets in the move, uh, sorry, in the groove, but there are parallel. I mean, understandably, when you're talking about Uruguayan footballers playing for Liverpool, you're going to end up mentioning Luis Suarez. He seems to me not to have any self-confidence issues or self-doubt, <laughs> yeah. which I think is really important to, if you're playing for Liverpool. You know, <laughs> I just think back to, I've said it a few times, but is obviously an element of crazy about him. I mean, getting sent off in your Anfield debut for a headbutt in front of the cop has never happened before. To be serving a suspension and celebrating a goal against Newcastle from 
near the substitutes bench by shouting fuck you at the Newcastle bench repeatedly. I was just like, this guy certainly isn't like sort of from the, the sort of standard uh, <laughs> vanilla football background that we see some of them. And I think that, again, it just makes me think he, he he's going to keep going. He's not going to go away, this guy, I think. He might get a few knocks along the way, but if you can polish around some of his rough edges, and I, I would say his shooting obviously needs to be improved. But again, you talk about Suarez. I mean, for his first 18 months at Liverpool, Suarez is shooting at times was appalling. Like, he... He was so wild and everything else that he did. It was almost like he got himself into the opportunity and then just just sort of couldn't contain himself. And it was only really the last season of Suarez at Liverpool where he became a prolific goal scorer and, you know, felt absolutely confident about what he was doing in terms of he had total conviction in what he was doing. I think if, if Nunes was to reach that point, he'd be a very difficult player to stop because he's so physical and quick. Uh, I'm intrigued to see how it goes because naturally when you pay such a huge amount of money you're expecting a player to be the finished article but as we've seen in the past with Liverpool they, they tried at the, certainly at the beginning of the FSG era to sign overpay for younger players who could become that player you're sort of just hoping that he does that you know that he, he ends up being a player that maybe in a year or two's time becomes the main man up front I think Klopp's been clever with him so far in terms of his use I think it was a good decision to take him off when he did and, you know, let him out of the pen on Saturday and create some havoc against Forrest. Who knows what might happen in that atmosphere? I, I love the way you both talk about it. Chaos, tornado, crazy, let him go and cause some havoc. And actually, he, it feels like he's found a real place in everyone's heart already, Andy. You only had to hear the chanting when he went off. Is he a special player in the making for Liverpool? I mean, I hope so, and as as we've, we've both sort of alluded to, he has got all the attributes, you can see the different elements in his game, which if he puts it all together and he gets that little bit of, I think, clarity in his decision-making, I guess, and he seems quite instinctive for me in that when he does something just sort of off the cuff, like that is when he's at his best, and when he, at the moment, when he for me, when he seems to have a little bit more time to think about things, that's when he doesn't necessarily make the right decision. But it's, it's one of those, you, you think back to the Man City game and, and obviously there's, there's that three-on-one, which <laughs> it's, I still find hilarious that he decides to have a shot from 25 yards instead of pass to the two free men. But then two minutes later, produces a really you know, quality ball across the box that Trent nearly puts in. And even that's just a little little lane and move because he could have had a shot from there, you know what I mean? I just think he's, he's, got, he's got all the tools. It is just about honing and getting it all together. And I think, as, as I said, his, his attitude is one that, it's one of them, he's going to continue to keep plugging away and plugging away and plugging away, and he will make sure that he's a success. He just seems to be that type of player. And when you've got all the talent that he's got and working with the likes of Klopp and the coaching team, and we've seen improve so many players over the years, it's difficult to see how he isn't another one of them. And I think he's, he's yes, he's very raw, but when you've got all the talent, all the talent that he's got, and all the tools, and the pace, and the physicality, and the finishing, and and I know it's a little, <laughs> the finishing can be a little bit wayward, but when you put all that together, you know this guy is a six-year contract he signed. Liverpool have got so much time for this to work and make this work, and I can't see how at this point how it doesn't continue to get better and better. 
Look, there were some players returning last night from injury. That's a big boost for Klopp with the amount of games he's got and, you know, the rotation that's going to have to happen. Curtis came on, Curtis Jones. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on the bench. Certainly not seen him for a while, Si. Um, th- these are positives, whilst at the same time they're missing a couple of massive players. The Jota blow was huge and Diaz as well. Yeah, I mean, the players at the mission, I think you'd, you'd sooner want them back than the players that have just returned, really. Jota, fantastic against Man City, I thought. Attitude, brilliant. Work rate, excellent. Always likely to pop up in the right areas in an attacking sense. Yeah, really big blow that. Obviously, we've spoken about Diaz before. You know, the concern is centre-half, I suppose, at the moment. They're relying on Joe Gomez and, and Virgil van Dijk being fit. So there's going to be a big burden on those two players over the next couple of weeks. I mean, I think Liverpool's run in the Premier League is pretty favourable really over the next few weeks you know in terms of who they've got to play when they've got to play them they can secure the Champions League qualification with I think a point in the next game so I'm tempted to say the sort of the worst of it is is over to some degree in terms of the, the, the teams that they've had to face and when they've had to face them but if they you know they, they could end up you know in a half decent position in the league in a couple of weeks time if they they perform as they have done in the last couple of games because the teams that they've got to play are pretty beatable, I would say, and not in, in the greatest of form themselves. Um, Big game on Saturday, I'd say, against Forest because they're obviously really struggling. When Liverpool went there in the FA Cup last year, You know, it was, it was a difficult game. I think Liverpool won the game relatively convincingly, but it's a different team now. What will happen is that the City ground will be absolutely very, very, very boisterous what Liverpool can't afford to do in that game, I would say, definitely is is give the opponents a head start like they have done so oftenly, or often in in previous games before the Man City game. They've got a, a you know another performance like the last two games will 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 be more than a, a, enough to to win that game. I'd say you know providing they're organised, providing you know that the the passes connect and the they don't um certainly take any any points for granted. I think that, that they should be fine in that game and that will set them up for the next few weeks, I'd say. Three three wins on the bounce, nine points in three trickyish games. You know, pretty good, really, potentially. But they, they've got to get past Forest. a really important game, I think. Yeah, a massive week. There's still been a bit of a fallout from the conversations around the Manchester City game, Andy, and obviously the, the comments that Klopp made pre the game in terms of the ability of clubs like Newcastle and and Manchester City. That that conversation doesn't seem to go away. What what what's your take on what Klopp said initially and some of the responses that have come back his way? Well, <laughs> where'd you start? I mean, I don't think Klopp said anything which was incorrect really in his in his initial statements. I think the three clubs he's sort of referring to have got the the ability or they have got these endless funds which they'll be able to use. And yes, there are things in place which can limit what they can do sort of season upon season. But, you know, Manchester City, for example, have, have had this investment for over 10 years. So it's through that you are able to build and build and build and build using that that sort of pool of money that you've got where other clubs are more restricted. And I couldn't believe some of the, the sort of suggestions from, from Man, City, Man City's end, especially about those comments and what appears to be sort of the the way that they've tried to direct it away from the issue that they should be addressing, which is, you know, the the chanting and the, and the graffiti from their own fans, which what Klopp said should not provoke that at all. 
you know, and it's just it's it's just it's horrible, quite frankly, when when any you know set of supporters chance that, and it, me inside did a you know sat down with um, a number of sort of survivors from Hillsborough uh, earlier this year, and in the room spoke to them all, and and every time you hear it, it it, it does bring me back to that, and sort of the just the, the devastating stories that, that that they told, and that you know we've we've heard and seen in, in documentaries and from families over over the many years since it happened. And then in terms of, I mean, Eddie Howe, on the, on the flip side for Newcastle, did sort of make me laugh a little bit in, in sort of his suggestion that the club had got it wrong because I think they are the highest net spenders since the new owners came in. Or they're certainly up there, so you can already see the difference. And, and it, it's one of them, isn't it? Like, they can't just spend 500 million in a window. Which you just can't do that. But... Again, it's one of them. Over over time, their budget allows them to be able to offer wages, offer transfer fees that will out, outbid the majority of, of other clubs because because of the financial power that they've got. And it, it's the same as of what Manchester City have done. And I know that the, the talk about the net spend recently for City. I mean, they've they've sold, you know, Jesus, Zinchenko, you know, those those types of players. They've been able to sell them, but they also have used their money to build the best academy in the world. So you look at the, the players that they've been able to sell, like Bazuna, Lavia, uh, to Southampton, for example, for fifteen million, despite never getting near the Manchester City first team. That helps, but that's been because they've been able to put so much money into the into the academy side of things as well, and it all just sort of relatively goes up. But I think the comments towards Klopp's comments of I, I genuinely don't think anything he said was wrong. No, it's, it's spiralled out of control, hasn't it? So there's, there's nothing that Jurgen said that isn't factually correct. And of course, I suppose if you're Man City or Newcastle, you can um, you can move the narrative around or, or talk around the figures to suit yourself. Well, you know, this isn't me launching an impassioned defence of Liverpool because I'm from Liverpool or Jurgen Klopp because, you know, he, he manages Liverpool Football Club. It, I just think he would. He has got every single right to be furious about claims that what he said was xenophobic. I think it diminishes and undermines sensible conversations about race generally. That this is just you know above Liverpool and, and Man City. I think it's childish. There's a lot has been written about sort of the the system at Man City and sort of how they deal with bad press and. You know, I've I've been privy to some of the things that have been said in private over the last week, and just none of it makes any sense. Really, it just seems like you know, throw enough shit against the wall and hope that some of it sticks. And I think football clubs have got to be very careful about how they mobilise the fans fan base. Really, um, I think what. Man City have done really is try. Well, it it, it seems that they want to pin the blame on chanting about the deaths of 97 people and subsequent misery of the families over you know 33 year period on Jurgen Klopp talking about football finance just think about that it just doesn't make any sense it's it's appalling and i think they've got to think about what the consequences of this as well i think it's i i, I stupidly i think now on reflection wrote either last season or the season before, I can't remember, that, that you know, that the Man City, the full 
uh, rivalry needed a, bit, a little bit more angst. And I think that was off the back of watching one too many documentaries about Arsenal and Man, Man United and the way that was on the pitch. And quite clear to me, I was wrong really because of potentially where that leads. I mean, I, I just think that as a club, Man City have got to think about does any of this help their fan base? And I know the people of Manchester, you know, does it make it does it make it a more safe environment to go and watch a football match by putting out all this stuff, which is gonna create a huge amount of animosity? I just think it's irresponsible, personally. I mean, I've been critical in the past in some of the writings. Somebody, if we do have any Manchester City supporters listening, might say, "Well, you know, you're from Liverpool. You know, you write about Liverpool. You're a Liverpool fan." You know, I've been critical of Liverpool's press operation in a very recent article. So if there's bullshit, you know, I think you're you're right to call it out whichever side you're on. And I just wish some of the, you know, people from Man City who... I know there's a lot of sensible Man City fans, but I haven't seen a great deal of people saying, no, this is wrong, what's going on here? It, it's not right. I think now, sadly, you know, sort of 33 years after Hillsborough, it feels like... People are just gonna, you know, that the, that the the singing about that tragedy is just increasing. And what Man City have essentially done is try to justify that chanting last weekend, and that leads to validation amongst the fan base. I, I just can't believe a football club would be as irresponsible as that. And you know, the the one big glaring point to be made here is City saying, "Well, that happened because of what Jurgen Klopp said," you know, the previous Friday. Well, why did that happen at the FA Cup semi-final then, last season? Is there any explanation there? Is there an explanation for why the club didn't put a statement out on the club's website so every Man City fan can read it? Or just to put it out through friendly media channels, through some spokesman, a shadowy spokesman? I think Manchester City, if they genuinely do believe that what Jurgen Klopp has said was xenophobic, they have to put this person forward who thinks that and say it publicly. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of The Totally Football Show. It's a show about football, and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games, Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Karl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
Right, we're going to move slightly away from this conversation. Um, a lot of Reds, if not most Reds, would have seen uh, the fantastic panorama which was broadcast a couple of nights ago about the Champions League final in Paris and exactly what happened in Paris. Uh, we're joined by journalist Leila Wright, who led the investigation. Firstly, congratulations, Leila. Uh, incredibly powerful documentary telling the truth behind the events in Paris, 28th of May at the Stade de France. Uh, for many, and I'm sure you've had an awful lot of feedback, Leila, it was an incredibly tough watch. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, yeah, it's been quite an overwhelming week, to be honest. Got back to Liverpool yesterday. I think it was important for me to, to be in Liverpool. Um, I kind of went into the office the next day and just said, you know, it kind of doesn't feel right being in London today. I kind of want to get want to get home and see everyone. And um, yeah, a tough watch. To be honest, it, from my point of view, made the programme not even really for Liverpool supporters in, in the fact of, for me, it was very important for the rest of the country to hear this story. That's kind of thing that I really wanted. This is the fan story. I wanted their story to be heard. And for me, it was so important that the people who kind of didn't realise what happened that night needed to listen. And that's what I hope hope will happen. For me, I kind of was determined since since Paris happened, to be honest, and obviously a lot of people that I know was there, my, my brother was there, and knowing the impact that it's had, um, for, for me, it's just been kind of, how do I get the rest of the country now to hear, and how do we get people to learn, especially people in power? So that's kind of been the main takeaway from me. I'm so glad that, you know, the fans that I've spoken to and reached out to and and heard from this week, feel that their story's out there. And I feel so, so, so proud and relieved about that. But for me, it's about kind of getting the rest of the country and the world, to be honest, to, to, to hear about this and say, right, what happens now? So fans aren't put in danger in the future. Obviously, you're doing a job and you're exposing truths there, but it, it must have been extremely harrowing for yourself going through hours and hours of video footage, Layla. I mean, there, there's so much that obviously didn't get into the programme. Absolutely. You know, we looked over 300 videos. It took us, you know, it took me a couple of weeks at the very start to even kind of get them together. We're staying up till the early hours, making sure that every single point of the fans journey from arriving in Paris to, you know, to, to the aftermath, any videos that are out there on social media that are on people's phones, I wanted to have that. And I was making sure that it was collated together, you know, put, put in this timeline so we could forensically go through it. And it was, it's hard. I mean, like, you know, you've known me, Steve, for a long time since I've been a young journalist. And, you know, sadly, as journalists, we kind of get immune to things that we see and things that we report on. This one was different. You know, I was, I'd often have to kind of take a, a long walk around mine after seeing some of the footage. And when, when I first started looking at the footage and gathering it about the fans self-policing at the gates, that's the stuff that really kind of got to me. You know, those chants of stay still, stay still and encouraging people to stay calm because when I was chatting to fans, they would tell me that this happened. But for me, it was really important to find those videos and to show people, like I keep saying, you know, the rest of the country and the rest of the world, just how important that kind of collective memory was. So when I was finding them videos and putting them together, they're the ones that kind of really stuck with me and still give me goosebumps, to be honest. But yeah, it, 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 it's been a very emotional kind of journey making this film, but I'm so glad that the fans feel heard. Si, let's bring you in here. I know it's something you're very passionate about as well. It, it just felt like you were watching a tragedy unfolding, watching the, the Panorama documentary. I suppose we're all thinking the truth's out there with it, but what can come from it? Where, where do you want to see this lead, Si? I mean, I, I watched it with my wife and, um, you know, she has sort of, you know, being, I suppose, through the last 
five or six months listening to me and trying to understand what happened. I remember being inside the stadium, having gone through all the, you know, the shit that everybody had to go through to get in and sending a message that I, I couldn't, I was actually thinking, I cannot believe I'm, I'm sending this message at a football match in 2022. I just sent a message, a short message saying there's been a fair few problems outside the ground. You might begin to hear about it, but I am okay. I just never thought I'd have to send that message. You know, I feel a bit sick even just verbalising that now. And, you know, she was sitting beside me and she, she saw the footage of, of the, the kid outside the gates uh, who was from Liverpool who was saying he never wants to go again. I mean, even just talking about that now get, makes me quite upset, to be honest. I always think if you write about something like this, even if one person watches it or reads it and it changes their view, it's been worth it, no matter all the sacrifice and everything that you've had to, to go through to sort of, uh, sacrifice is the wrong way, but everything you've had to go through to to go, to, to get something out there. And I certainly felt, having watched the documentary, that it was a really powerful way of getting a very harrowing event for a lot of people where a lot of people were invested in it and a lot of things happened in a very short space of time for very simple reasons, by the way and illustrate that in, in half an hour. It, it, I can only imagine that was quite hard to do, but I think it executed it really well. And as you said, I, th- I think for me, I, I found it quite hard to watch. And when at the end of it, I, I sort of thought, well, I found it hard to watch. I, I even totally honest, I, I don't want to watch it again. But there are people who I think will have taken comfort from it. But most importantly, as, as Layla says, it's not really the fans who were there or the the people who aren't emotionally invested or as knowledgeable about it that matter here. It's 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 about educating people who might have some inbuilt prejudice about people from Liverpool or or making them understand exactly exactly what, what went wrong. And I just hope from here, I mean we we've I wrote about this last earlier this week that you know there's a UEFA panel investigation which is due to release its findings. I'm skeptical about it because of the release, the the, the scheduled time release, uh, the release of the findings, which are meant to be around the World Cup. I hope that that isn't an attempt to to bury bad news. What I would like to see is UEFA admit that they're responsible for all this. It was their decision. If they weren't confident enough, A, if they weren't confident enough that the the ground was met safety standards, and even if there were failings on that day, it is ultimately their fault. I've said this before, but if if a if a bounty castle collapses, it's not the the event organizer. It's not the it's not the manufacturer's fault necessarily. It's it's the event organizers as well for not for not sorting something out. And that's that's your wafer, isn't it? So interesting, Layla. Have you had any contact from your wafer after the documentary's gone out? Do you expect any, given that their report release isn't that far away? So UEFA wouldn't answer any of my questions, wouldn't respond to anything, said they've got their own inquiry coming out. That's that's kind of how, how they'll deal with it. Haven't heard anything since from them officially. Know that they've watched it, some of them inside. And yeah, I mean, obviously, go go be careful what we say. I, I think it's um you know in terms of it's it's been it's been a, been a journey making this film. And I think what I said there, like the thing that I think people. A lot of people in the rest of the country don't realise is just how grave that situation was. And if it wasn't for the collective memory of Liverpool supporters and how they dealt with it, 
it would have been a lot serious. And I think places like UEFA need to acknowledge that, first of all, and need to make sure that this does not happen again. Because I think, you know, it, this is this is bigger than like club football. This is bigger than whatever shirt you've got on. Like this is goes to, it's, it's a, you know, a big corporation who obviously do very well out of these events and have organised these in the past. And they need to ensure that people who are spending a lot of money going to their events are are safe. It, it shouldn't even be a conversation. Like, you know, I'm very grateful for coming on to this podcast, listen to it in the past. That my brother's a big fan of this podcast, but we shouldn't be chatting about this. Like if people should be able to go to a football game and be safe. You know, I should be coming on here talking about the match last night that happened. And I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway for me is you know, people should be able to just go to a football game and know that they haven't got their loved ones at home worrying, waiting for them to call. I know I still remember like it was yesterday trying to get in touch with my brother, panicking that my WhatsApps weren't delivering to him, texting all his mates, didn't hear anything. And I think we kind of need to remember that, just how absolutely horrific it was kind of in a way to make sure that we, we stay angry and we make sure that lessons are learned. And like Sai said, the report's coming out next month be very interesting to see what what's in that report but I think even when that report comes out however comprehensive it is whatever's inside there okay what happens now <laughs> we're not that long away from another you, you know another Champions League final obviously that that's next year how how do you ensure that people are going to be safe going there whoever it is whatever fans it is you know let's make sure now that people go there after spending a lot of money and make sure that that they're safe Andy what did you take away from the programme. I mean, there was one point where Steve Rotherham was talking and reflecting on the fact that he told Alexander Seferin about the growing problems outside the ground and was almost dismissed. Yeah, it was It was one of them, even watching it and having heard and read and seen and my dad was there, so he sort of had his own view. Fortunately, he was got into the ground mega early because of sort of, I guess, the, the, the fears of of what potentially can go wrong at these types of things when when things aren't right. And it, it, it's still just that, that shock, isn't it, of how did this happen? And it, it's it's so it's so frustrating. As I said, even though you've heard and, and seen and, and read so much about it, it still doesn't take away that that idea that this could have been so so much worse. And it it is really, really worrying and and obviously you just hope that when this documentary does make a difference and is seen by as many people as possible. And ideally, you know, it makes a difference to potentially what, you know, the, the report that comes out next month says in, in terms of the, the interpretation, how that is viewed. And you, you just want to see the change move. You know, you want to see the difference going forwards. You want to make sure, you want to know that the, these people have realised what they did was so wrong that this will never happen again. And it's... It's wanting that guarantee. It's difficult to know if we'll ever, we'll, we'll get that. But yeah, no, it, it was just, it took you back to on the day, obviously just scrolling through social media, trying to find out what was going on. If everyone you knew had gone was fine. You know, it's just something you, you never want to experience again. And you hope that, that this documentary, what I took away from it was you hope that this was, you know, a real important marker for it to never happen again because now we've got so much evidence we've got the ability to show things you know immediately if you like and highlight everything that's gone wrong and how people who shouldn't be blamed were getting the blame and the people who should be getting blamed you know now it's it's quite obvious that they are to blame so yeah you just hope that it's something that that never never happens again 
Leila, I'm so glad you could bring it to an excellent platform like Panorama and, and grab so much attention and really bring this story back. And I know how tenacious you are as a journalist, so I presume from here on in, it isn't a case of just leaving that story alone. Absolutely. You know, like like I said, UEFA have got the report out next month. I'll be, you know, closely watching what's in that report and how, if any recommendations that are made, if there are any made, you know, are implemented. And I think it's just about making sure that, like I said, people can go and watch the team that they love and know that they can do that safely. You can still watch the documentary again, is that right? It's on iPlayer? Yeah, it's on iPlayer. It's called Champions League Final, What Went Wrong? So those that feel that they're able to watch it, it it's on there now. Leila Wright, thank you very much uh, indeed, the journalist who led the investigation into that panorama programme on what happened in Paris at the Champions League final. Uh, many thanks, of course, uh, to Leila, to Sai, and to Andy as well. Thank you for listening to The Red Agenda. Hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye.